If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy that you have joined us today. Today we're talking about such an important topic. We are covering this topic of trauma and how so many of us are affected nearly on every level of our lives, the trauma we've experienced. And so we're going to hit that today. We're going to tackle it. And I'm going to share with you from my own personal journey, pieces of my trauma and how I have made it through to the other side. I'm going to talk about my definition of what I think trauma is, how it affects us, and I'm going to give you three tangible steps that you can apply to your life to help you get to the other side so that it's not affecting you anymore. There is so much wisdom and insight and valuable bits and nuggets of goodness inside this episode and so much hope for you to really live your best life and be free from all of that junk behind you. Before we dig into that episode, I have to give a shout out to our Facebook group. It has been such a fun community and it's been so great connecting with you guys in there. If you have not joined, please jump in. You can opt in on my website, justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. You can opt in there. And also, while you're on justajesusfollower.com, which is my baby of a website, check out my blog. If you haven't checked that out yet, I cannot push you there faster. It has been a labor of love for many years. And if you are enjoying the content here, you will greatly benefit from the content there. So check it out. And last but not least, I said last week, I've been hanging out on Instagram a lot. And it's been fun sharing with you guys pictures of my four beautiful babies and my cute little puppy Penelope and giving you guys little bits of encouragement every day and and inspiring quotes. And it's just been really fun connecting that way. So if you're on Instagram, come over and say hi. Check me out. I would love to connect with you that way too. All of that being said, this is such a meaningful topic for me and I count this an honor and I count it joy to be able to impart what I'm going to share with you today. I really think that if you apply what we talk about today, this could transform your life. So without any further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're talking all about trauma and how to heal from trauma and how to be free from those things that have happened in our stories that have left us with wounds and scars and hangups and just the inability to be exactly who we were made to be. And when I pulled the tribe, this subject came up and trauma is one of those things where immediately you kind of just recoil, you know, and you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to talk about trauma. And yet, as I sat and looked at the questions that I've been asked about this topic, and I look at my story and I'm like, oh, I can talk about trauma. (laughs) I can totally talk about trauma. This should not give me that immediate recoiling response. But for a lot of us, it does that. And I think it does that because we feel like trauma has this power over us that that has a way of controlling our life, right? And keeping us from doing and being who we want to be and accomplishing the things we want to accomplish. We get hung up 
Okay, so we're going to tackle this this topic, and I promise you, I promise you, by the time we're done, we're going to have this baby much more manageable to where it does not feel like an overwhelming, scary monster hiding in your closet. I promise. So, my friends, take a deep breath. You are beloved. You are safe. You are valuable, and you are so worthy of living your absolute best life with the absolute best version of you. So this thing called trauma, just out of curiosity, I did a quick search on the name, um, I'm sorry, on the word trauma to see what definition it pulled up and Wikipedia, which, you know, isn't always accurate. However, their definition was intriguing. It defines psychological trauma as damage to the mind that occurs as a result of a severely distressing event. I think most of us would nod our heads and go, um, yeah, (laughs) I would totally agree with you. And we've, we've even had Jim Lee was on this podcast earlier in the season and he talked about trauma and he was like, trauma can be any range, any scale of, of an event that on the surface may seem minor or on the surface may seem major trauma can surface in, in our body, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our soul, in ways that we just would have no idea it would have that much of an impact on. So we definitely have to give trauma a place. But I think that there's so much information out there about trauma that it can feel like muddy, murky waters. So my hope in what I'm going to share and impart today is that these waters will feel a little bit more clear that all of the muck and dirt and confusion and disorientation that happens around the the trauma topic and probably around certain events and stories in your life and in your timeline, my hope is that after we walk through some wisdom and some things I've learned and some pieces and tools I've collected along the way, that it's not going to feel as murky. It's not going to feel as discombobulated. It will have a lot more clarity to it. So a definition like the Wikipedia one can feel like, yeah, okay, duh. I know that's what trauma is. Thank you kindly. Let's move on. This is how I define trauma. I define trauma to be anything that removes a part of who you are. When you think back on your life and the, and the events in your timeline that pop to the surface when I say trauma, most of them were so painful because they robbed, they stole, they took a piece from you of who you are. That's why it's so traumatic. Because when you pick apart at the soul being of a person, it is traumatic. And to go back to that simple definition, that would definitely cause damage to the mind as a result of something severely distressing. It is severely distressing when any part of you is plucked out and removed. What takes us to a a trauma level for me when someone removes or an event removes a piece of who you are It usually involves physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual hurt. And in one of those categories, or a mixture of those categories, the method that's usually used involves one of these five things, which would be shame, or fear, isolation, manipulation, and control. So the events that have been traumatic for you and for me It's usually because we have been harmed physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually by means of shame, fear, isolation, manipulation, or control to remove a piece of who we were. And it left us undone. It left us with trauma. Grappling with how to move forward without it kind of dragging around behind us. So there's a, a way that I look at this that simplifies it for me. 
And maybe it's because I'm, I moved into this house two years ago, which has been just a gift from heaven above. I am loving my home. It came with like this crazy, beautiful garden in the back. And the owners of this home before I bought it, it was a one owner home. They were retired and they had spent their whole time living in this home, cultivating this beautiful garden. And when I say garden, I don't mean vegetables and fruit and all the things, although those would be extremely useful. I would have loved to have walked into something like that. But instead, they were more interested in flowers and vines and all the things that I would have never known how to envision for my own garden, like landscaping and gardening is not my forte. But they had a vision for that. And so they created this beautiful little paradise in the back of this house. And I remember the first time I toured this house, I fell in love with the home immediately. But when we stepped out into the backyard, my jaw was like, here, I'll give you this. Two things flashed across my mind. One was, holy cow, I cannot believe I could maybe get to live here. The second thing that immediately crossed my mind was, holy cow, how the heck am I going to keep up with this? (laughs) Right? Like... For someone who doesn't garden, I mean, I can maintain a lawn and I can maintain your shrubbery and, you know, things of that nature, but a garden to this degree with pathways and arches and rose things happening. And there is not an inch of this yard that is not done up like that. I mean, my heart kind of like palpitated with anxiety, like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know that I'm capable of this. Well, I've lived here two years now been through some springs and I'm starting to get the hang of this. Now, I've had to let go of certain parts of it and not let those be my main focus and just focus where I can. And the other parts were just putting back to grass and things like that. But the parts that I have made my little babies, I have fallen in love with gardening. And I think it's, it's because it, it's therapeutic. And I know some of you, some of my listeners, I know you garden and you would probably say the same thing. And if you don't garden, you would say the same thing typically about being outside, whether it's water that speaks to you, like being near, near the beach or being near a big lake or a big body of water. It, it speaks to you or those of you who like to hike and be out in nature that way. Nature has a way of having this calming effect. And so as you all know, going through that divorce two years ago, I didn't have much to do other than garden and try to survive because I had stepped down from my role as a pastor and I have these four babies and I have this new home and I have this garden. And so, so much of my time was spent in that yard and I I started learning the art of gardening, but I started to heal too. And I was amazed at how much the divine and I connected through nature, through my hands being in the dirt and through the flowers that were blooming that I had pruned. And I mean, just all of these little intricacies that just spoke to me. So that little caveat there was simply to tell you that gardening was an easy analogy for me because I've been entrenched in it for two years. And by no means I'm an expert, so please don't ask me any gardening questions. I still need all the things, all the help, all the tutorials. I literally just know how to keep the thing going. I don't know how to start one. (laughs) So I'm keeping it weed-free and pretty. That's like all I know how to do. Okay, so this analogy of a garden. When I think of our lives, who we came into this world being, we came with fresh dirt, right? We came as a fresh, clean slate. But in that fresh clean slate, in that fresh dirt, there were things we came prepackaged with that were so beautiful and so good and so creative and so masterfully designed. Think of your life as the perfect garden. Everybody's garden is different. Like I said, some people do the vegetable thing, some people do the herb thing, the succulent thing, whatever. I have flowers. That's where I'm entrenched right now. So think of your garden, you as the unhinged, untraumatized, innocent, perfect, pure being that you came into this world as. Think of the traits that you had. When I was going through this um, and I thought of my garden, you know, what were the flowers, if you will, that I came with? 
some of them offhand were, I came really independent. I came with a lot of confidence, boldness, compassion, empathy, leadership, deep spirituality. I came prepackaged with that. That was my garden. Those were my flowers. That was the, the masterful design that the God of the universe imparted into me. When trauma happens, it's as though somebody goes into your garden and starts digging up and plucking out those beautiful pieces that are there. And if you've ever worked in a garden and worked with root systems, right, you know how vital and how deep those roots go. And if you're going to pull something up, you have to pull it up by the whole bulb, by the whole root. When trauma happens, it's exactly like that. It goes into the dirt. It, it damages the root system and it yanks that thing out. And when those things are yanked out, you're left with an empty space. And empty spaces in gardens get filled with, you guys know where I'm going with this, they get filled with weeds. They get filled with things that don't belong, but they see a little, a little space of, of fresh dirt and they're like, oh, I'm just going to take root right there. And weeds start to grow in. And if you let a garden just go like that, what takes over? right? The weeds, right? They just, they take over. And so looking, I'm going to use my situation as an example. I told you what I came with. When I went through trauma, everything that I just said to you was plucked out of me. One traumatic event after another, I lost independence. And the weed that grew in that place was dependence. I became very dependent on people very dependent on things to an unhealthy degree, like money. I became very dependent on knowing I was financially secure to a level that was unhealthy. Um, You might become dependent on food. You might become dependent on alcohol. You might become dependent on people's approval. You might become dependent on how many freaking likes you have on your Instagram post. I mean, dependence can come in all forms. When I lost that seed, that, that root of independence, this weed of dependence came in like a freight train and just wreaked havoc. Confidence was another thing I came with. And after trauma, and that was yanked out of me, insecurity was what grew in its place. I used to be bold. And when I lost that boldness, when that was taken from me, this timid thing happened to me. This really quiet, like mousy thing happened that was not me. When you look at videos of me of like three, I'm a tornado. Like I walk on the scene and I own the room and I have something to say and I make sure everybody listens to me. That's how I came. Nobody taught me to be that way. I came like that. And then you look at me where I was about 10 years ago, looked nothing like that. I was quiet and inward and timid and scared. Totally different. I had compassion. I was built with, to be a compassionate soul. I just, I came that way. And you know what took that place when that was taken from me was a whole lot of anger. And when you're angry, it is hard to be compassionate. And I found that anger just absorbed that part of me. And I could tap into the compassion if I really needed to. I think as moms, we have an ability to to dig inside and find that place for our children. But as a whole, anger was more prominent than compassion. I came empathetic. I'm an empath by nature. And by the grace of God, I have made my way back to being an empath. But after traumatic events, instead of empathy, I had a lot of selfishness, a lot of self-focused behavior. It just took over every ability for me to have empathy. And instead, just I was so inwardly focused. That leadership trait that I came with, when that was taken from me, and that was probably one of the most painful traumatic events, when that part of me was yanked out and tossed aside as being no good, What took root in its place 
Instead of leading, I became a follower. And I think that that is one of the most dangerous weeds in your garden that you can have is when you lose sight of your voice and your place and your position and instead you just become one of the pack and you blindly follow. And then that last piece that I came with was this deep sense of spirituality, which is probably one of the most sacred places I think inside of my being. When that was challenged, when trauma happened in that area, a disconnect happened. And I wouldn't say that I lost my spirituality. You know, I think when you go through spiritual trauma, which I'm going to talk more about in a second, I don't think you lose all spirituality. I don't think it works like that because in essence, we are spiritual beings. Like we can't get away from that fact. The most unspiritual person is still spiritual. They just ignore that, but they they are because we are designed as spiritual beings. And when we die, we continue to be spiritual beings. Like there's no getting away from being spiritual. We are spiritual. But I think what happens when trauma enters into that part of us, we become disconnected. So Oprah describes this beautifully. She talks about um, low vibrations versus high vibrations, right? And she's like, there are people who are connected to the flow and they vibrate at a high level. Like they are in tune to what is happening in a realm outside of this one. And I think when we lose that part of us, when our spirituality is threatened or harmed, in all the ways I mentioned, through, through shame and fear and isolation, manipulation and control, when that happens, we become a low vibrator. Like we, we, we jump out of the flow and instead we just kind of have blinders on to this world that's happening outside of us. And we become an observer instead of a partaker. So this disconnect happened for me and I, I find that to be so sad. And again, having this part of me put back in order was, was one of the best because that was, that was very sad to lose a part of that. So when you look at your garden and you see what your flowers were and you start to put together through your timeline of traumatic events, things that happened to you that removed what you came with, that removed pieces of who you were, it's pretty easy to follow the trail to see what grew in their place. And I think that's why so many of us get stuck in this trauma thing where we, where our, our present and our future are so dictated by what happened to us in our past. And as I've said a thousand times before, and I will say this to you again, you are not designed to live in your past. You're not designed to live in your pain. You're not designed to live in the trauma of what has happened to you. There's a better way. And so we're going to talk about how to, how to move through that. But first, I want to give you an example of, of what this looked like for me. Um, I was married super young. I have shared that before. Not to the husband that I recently went through a divorce with, but I had a, a previous husband uh, that I married when I was freshly 18. Super, super young, itty-bitty baby. <laughs> And that marriage was toxic from the beginning. It just was. And as much as I wanted it to work and as much as I felt I was in love, toxic, abusive relationships just, they, they don't have what it, what it takes to make it the long haul. So that, that relationship was a hard one for me. And inside of that relationship, there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of, of pain lying, ugh, just a whole lot of yuck. And this is so far behind me. I kind of feel like I'm talking about a different person, but I lived it. I I lived it. And it was, it was a dark time for me. During that time, I was actively involved in church. I was actively a leader as was my husband at the time. And I assumed as a naive early 20 something that I was that when I finally came open to my friends, my peers, and to my church leadership about the dynamic that was happening in our home, that I would be met with safety. I sincerely, naively believed that. 
the last thing I expected was what happened, which was I was shamed. I was shamed. And that happened in many various different ways. But the main things that pop out to me when I think of the things that were traumatic during that season, surprisingly, the trauma I went through in that relationship, I don't think it has stuck around as much as the spiritual element of it, which is why I wanted to talk about the spiritual abuse part. Um, I healed from that relationship and I'm so thankful. And he and I have a wonderful working relationship with our daughter. And by no means is this a platform to, to bash him or, or anything of that sort. We were young. We were young and we didn't know what the heck we were doing. And it was just yucky. We survived and now we both are in good, healthy places. That's the good part. The bad part was that this church environment that we were in, the way they responded, and I can't even use the word respond because it was more like a reaction. The way they reacted was to shut it down, which in essence meant to shut me down. They didn't want me talking about it. They didn't want me separating from him. They didn't want me calling it things like violence or abuse. They didn't want any of that. And instead, in an effort to control, which is what I talked about earlier, right? Trauma to be anything that removes a piece of who you are by means of shame, fear, isolation, manipulation, and control. They hit every single one of those. I mean, nail on the head. To the degree of my closest friends surrounding me and shaming me with Bible verses about how I needed to be quiet if my, if my husband was being violent with me. It was because I was talking too much. I needed to be quiet. That God would want me to submit to any sort of behavior like that because it would honor him. And of course, I, you know, go to the debating Anna, who had not quite lost her boldness yet. I stand on my own two feet all by myself and I start arguing the Bible because I knew it really well. And I said, well, what do you say then to people who fear being killed? What if somebody, what if I was killed in this scenario? What if this got so out of hand that my life was taken because of this violence? And the reaction that I received was, you would be a martyr, a martyr for God. This is what God would want you to do. I was horrified. I was hurt. I was horrified. I was alone. It was scary to begin with. And then this added a whole nother level of crazy and fear and awfulness. And so... It escalated past that to eventually, and I won't get into all the details, but eventually I received a letter from the church leadership telling me that I was no longer allowed to be a member of their church if I proceeded with separation and divorce. And I tell you, there were so many levels of trauma that I went through during that season. I was broken to begin with, right? Let's just call it what it was. I was not in a healthy place because of the marriage I was in. Um, Neither one of us were in a healthy place. And then you add, instead of real support and real coming alongside and love and safety, instead, I was met, I I was just swatting arrows 24-7 it felt. And at the end of all of that, in order to save my sanity, save my health, we did the best thing for us. And we eventually separated and of course, eventually divorced. But through that, I felt like I lost everything. I lost my friends. I lost my church. I lost my community. I lost my leadership role. I lost all of it. And I was quickly put on prayer chains to pray for my salvation because clearly I'd lost my mind. And, you know, all of those little things added up to so many pieces of me being yanked away. And I was left with a bucket of trauma. You know, and some may say, oh, well, you were just kicked out of a church. I mean, that's not that traumatic. I mean, I think what you went through with other things was more traumatic. You know, call it what you want. 
it pulled out some of the most sacred things inside of me. It pulled out my independence. It, it, I mean, my confidence was just shattered after that, which was already, some of these things were already on, on the way out because of what I was in, because of what I was living with in my home. But after I went through all this stuff with my church, it was like the nail in the coffin. Boldness, forget about it. Compassion, forget about it. I was pissed and angry and defensive and scared all the time. Empathy gone. My leadership gone. Spirituality, major disconnect. Um, And so going through all of that, and and I wrote my first book shortly after this about forgiveness and you can find it on my website if you would like to check that out. It's, it kind of documents my whole journey of learning to forgive and what that looks like. And it was written about 10 years ago. So my, I sound a lot different than I sound now because I was in a whole lot different of a mind frame. But the truths in that book I still stand by. Anyway, how did I get through that? How did I, <coughs> excuse me, how did I move past that trauma? to get to the other side, which is the question, right? So there's three steps that I want to share with you that I walked through and I think are vital to moving past any sort of trauma, whatever category you land in. And the first one is to get stabilized and safe. And for a lot of us, that looks very different and can take many different shapes, but stabilizing and safety are so key. You, you can't move past any of the other work until those are set. For some of you, that may mean removing yourself from certain relationships like I had to do. I had to get stable. I had to get safe. And that meant removal of certain people in my life. Another major component of, of stabilizing is usually talking about what you've been through. And there's, there's different studies out there. Some will say that talking about trauma can make it so much better. There's like relief in talking about it. And some people have to talk and talk and talk and talk until there's nothing left in them to say about it. Other people find it more traumatizing to relive the event. So working with a wise therapist who can help you navigate what is the best route for you, and you probably know what's the best route for you, but having a therapist to process that stuff with and sort through it with is so helpful in becoming stable and safe. The second thing that I believe you have to go through is is this time of putting the trauma in its proper place. And inside of that step, there usually is grief. There usually is a time of mourning. There usually is a time of remembrance. And when I say grief and mourning, I don't just mean grieving what happened to you and mourning what happened to you. I mean grieving the loss of what could have been. Because oftentimes in traumatic events where a part of you is taken, it usually involves hopes and dreams too. I had a whole bunch of hopes and dreams in that first marriage that took a violent death. (laughs) It just, it is what it is. And I not only had to mourn the pain of losing that relationship and losing so much of myself in it, but I had to grieve and mourn all the things that I had hoped for, everything that I had planned, right? The retirement, the weddings, the graduation of the baby. I mean, like all of those things I wept over and mourned over. So there's that time of naming and remembering what happened to you. In my book, my first chapter is called The Funeral because that's what it felt like for me in that first chunk of my life um, after coming out of that trauma, it felt like I was living my own funeral, really, in like real time. And I was remembering and I was grieving and I was mourning and I was like burying the thing and putting a stone on the thing and naming the thing. It was awful. But just like in real life, right, when we go to funerals of family members or friends or loved ones, as painful as that process is of being at the funeral and remembering the thing, the person, the relationship, 
that time and space that you cherished and loved, remembering all that can be so painful because it's gone. And watching them bury what you love in the ground, separating it between yourself and it, putting dirt on it can be so painful. Seeing the gravestone there later can be so painful. And yet it's so healing. And yet it's so cleansing. Because we've named it. We've given it a place of remembrance. There's a lot of talking in scripture about that. And I won't get into all of that um, on this podcast. But again, it's all in my book. A time of mourning, a time of grief, a time of remembrance. It's so vital to your healing. And included in that is forgiveness, which I've talked about in a previous podcast episode. And I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes and a link to my book as well. And the podcast episode was called Rising from Pain. And I am like super raw and super vulnerable in that episode. And I, from my most recent divorce, um, I sit with you and I just... Literally, I cry, I ugly cry, I ugly get angry, all the things. And I let you sit with me while I sort through pain, which is all wrapped up in this step of grief, loss, mourning, and eventually forgiving and letting go. So that is, that is stage two of trauma. <clears throat> the third step in moving past our trauma and this, I think, I think that that number two step is the one where a lot of people get stuck. We don't, we don't like sitting in uncomfortable spaces. We don't like sitting in pain and grief. And I get that. And that's why I felt the need to record that one episode that I just mentioned, because we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. We just do. And it's not fair. You didn't deserve any of the stuff that happened to you that was traumatic. You didn't invite it. You didn't will it. You didn't have that as an ordained path set in front of you. God never, ever wills that stuff on anybody. And so you're right. Having to go through it is painful enough and having to like heal from it. It's like, what the heck? Why do I have to sit here and grieve the thing when I already just survived the thing? I get that so much. But the thing is, if you don't grieve it, if you don't feel it, if you don't name it, you don't ever seem to get rid of it. And that's really what you want. You really, really don't want your present and your future to be defined by your past. You don't want, going back to that garden analogy, you don't want your garden to be filled with weeds that you can't get rid of and you have to look at every day. No, you want it to be clean and pretty and blooming and healthy, pleasant to be in, pleasant to smell, pleasant to walk around in, pleasant to look at, peaceful. That's what you want. So when I share this step, this step two that we just talked about, it's because I want you to have a better life. I want you to live in that peaceful place. Okay, moving to step three. This has been so vital for me, and this is where I'm at now. To be truthful with you, I think most of my grief, and you've probably heard it in my voice and seen it in my writing, a lot of my grief has has left. Hallelujah. (laughs) And I feel like I've been grieving for like ever, but I'm finally coming up for air, and it's just been so light and airy and like the sun is finally shining again it's wonderful but now I'm in this phase and this phase step three remember the garden analogy right about how the those traits that you were came with how they were plucked out and then that nasty weed grew in its place right well this third step is where you go in that garden and you pull out the weeds which looks like Removing all of the lies that got planted in your heart through trauma. And you begin speaking a different message to yourself. So the lies that I walked away with through a lot of different trauma things. And I'm going to go back to the one that I shared with you. That traumatic event with my church and with my friends and my peer group. The lies that I came away with 
I'm going to share four. The first one was that I wasn't worthy of community. The second one was that I deserved to be abused. The third was that I wasn't wanted. And the fourth was that I'd always be alone. And I think those have been universal lies because I've gone through other traumatic events and these tend to ring in my head again. These tend to resurface again. And maybe it's just because when you go through more trauma after you've already been through trauma, it tends to reawaken the first trauma. Could be. Or it could just be that these are lies that are universal to us all or these are just specific ones that tend to haunt me. I don't know. Whatever the case, these were the ones I needed to go in and uproot and rewrite the script. So I had to start a new mantra. I had to go inside my heart and say, be honest with myself. Okay, I, at the core of me, I really believe that I'm not worthy of community. And how did I determine that I believed that lie? Was that when I would visit new groups of people, whether it be at a new church I was visiting, whether I was speaking or just kind of coming to visit, whether I went to a mom's group, whether I went to a book study, whether I went to a social event at my kid's school, I immediately felt like an outsider. No one had to do anything. No one had to look at me funny. No one had to say anything funny, but I instantly felt I don't belong here. I believed that. And so after a few events like that, you start going, okay, what is my deal? Why do all of these people, like, am I reading the room, right? That all of these groups don't like me when they've never even met me? Or is this something that I'm bringing with me? And the more I started to look for that pattern, I started to see that pattern. You know, like when you look for a red car, you see red cars everywhere, kind of that thing. Once I clued in that this was something that I was carrying, I saw it everywhere. The way I held myself when I ordered a flippin' cup of coffee. Like, I carried this thing of I am not worthy of being in community in this space. And so I had to rewrite that. And I'm still rewriting that. But my mantra in my head looks something like this. I am valuable to a community. I bring and offer a lot to the table. I am valuable inside of community. And I don't care if you have to stick these on sticky notes, on your wall, in your car, on your desk at work. For me, it's kind of just a running thing in my head along with sticky notes, along with notes on my phone. Like, I have to surround myself with truth messages. Otherwise, I I don't get past these lies. So this is how you start identifying the weed, yanking it out, and planting the real you back in the ground instead. Another one of the lies that I had to overcome was the one I said um, where I thought that I deserved to be abused. And that came with some of the verbiage used um, from that church with how I had brought on that behavior. I'd invited it, whatever you want to call it. it. It was not subtly stated. We'll put it that way. But since then, anytime I'm mistreated, it's like I'm looking for someone to say, you deserved that to happen to you. You brought this onto you. You invited that behavior. Like now it's like an ongoing thing in my head. And so to rewrite that script, I have had to tell myself, I am worthy of being protected. I'm worthy of being stood up for. I'm worthy of being fought for. Because this whole idea of you deserving to be mistreated or you deserving abuse or you deserving to be a martyr, ugh, it all ties back to this thing of, well, if you think I deserve that, then you don't think I'm worthy of being protected. And yet Jesus was like the ultimate protector. Do any time Christian groups say that crap, I just am like, where do you get that from? Because, I mean, look at Jesus with the woman about to be stoned. He didn't go to her and say, well, you committed adultery, so I'm sorry, my friend, you deserve this. You brought this on yourself. I mean, how many times have I heard that sentence and it makes me want to pull my hair out? No, he didn't say that to her. He protected her because in his behavior of protecting her, he was saying to her, you are worthy 
of being protected. You are worthy of being stood up for. I don't care what you did. You're worthy of being protected from mistreatment. Jesus was all about that. So rewriting that line in my head has actually, that's been one of the easier ones. Because as soon as I saw the truth about the God that I am in connection with and the flow that Jesus operated in, that was an easy connection for me. It still creeps up every now and then, but that that mantra has been one that I have just held on to. Okay, that other lie saying that I'm not wanted. That's been that's been a hard one. I will not hide that from you. That has been a hard one, and I'm still plowing through this one. It's a nasty root. It's a nasty weed. It's kind of like in my garden. I don't know if you get clover patches in yours, but I get clover patches and little mini oak trees. They just Gosh, they are nasty little boogers and they seem to just take over if you're not paying attention. That's what I feel like this one is for me. I don't like this one. But I have had to, and I still am having to say to myself, sometimes daily, I am desirable. I am wanted. My voice is wanted. My friendship is wanted. My partnership is wanted. My presence is desired. It's needed. I have had to overcome so much trauma on this one little topic. And I'm angry about that. Not happy about it at all. Because I did not come packaged like that. I came packaged with like a thousand loads of confidence. Like nothing could stop me. I just assumed the room wanted me. <laughs> That's how I came. And I was like that all the way through high school. And after that relationship and then other events in my life that just continued to speak that message to me, it beat that out of me. Literally and figuratively, that has been stolen from me. First marriage did it. Second marriage did it. Friendships did it. It's just been a theme. And so I have had to just fight to clean that sucker out And there are days when I am good. And then there are days when I have to go back and deal with it. You know, I feel like, again, just because you de-weed your garden doesn't mean that it's done. And I even do the preen stuff right on my garden, like um, that weed protectant or whatever. And And I spray for weeds. I do all the things. But I still have to maintain. This is one that I think I'm going to have to maintain maybe the rest of my life. But the point is, is that I'm aware of it. And I'm mad at it. And I want it to go away. So I am very proactive in my thought life on this one. Okay, moving on to that last one. I'll always be alone. Oh, that's not a fun one either. But I will say, one of the things that has helped me with this one is speaking over myself the truth, which is, I'm not made to be alone. Like, God didn't make any of us for loneliness. He didn't. And when you feel lonely, it can be hard to believe that you're not made to be alone. It can feel like, oh my gosh, this is my lot in life. And trauma can can feel so isolating because a lot of the tools that traumatic events, right, like we talked about, they use shame, they use fear, they use isolation, manipulation, and control. All of those speak to this idea of loneliness. That's why abused victims stay quiet for so long. They are convinced that they are the only ones who have ever dealt with it and who will ever have to bear this burden. That's why they stay quiet. So anybody who has been through trauma, loneliness is a natural thing. It's just a natural thing that happens where you start thinking I'm always going to be alone with this pain or I'm always going to be alone in marriage or I'm always going to be alone in parenting or I'm always going to be alone in my dreams or in my church or in my faith or put whatever category you want to put on it. This belief of I am meant to be alone creeps in. So I have had to to make this a new mantra for myself, which is I'm not made to be alone, and my people are out there. And when you present yourself to the world with that mentality, you start attracting people. You start attracting your tribe. You start attracting healthier, safer relationships. And and I get that 
embracing a new mantra can feel overwhelming and can feel scary and like, I don't know how to change my mind. I just, I, I believe this, like I believe the sky is blue. This is so hard to undo. And this is where good therapy comes in. This is where good support networks come in. It might mean that you join a support group. One of my best friends is in a support group. And it has brought a tremendous amount of healing and community for her. And so there is no shame in reaching out for help. There is no shame in that. And wherever you are finding help, find your help. Because that is going to help you rewrite these scripts. And especially, and I know it's been really helpful with my therapist because she's told me it's been helpful. I come with my stuff. Like when I was piecing through all of this and I, one of my first visits with her, I was like, okay, here's my deal. Like these are my issues. I cannot get over this idea that I am meant to be by myself. Help me. (laughs) like fix me, right? Like I came and I was like, this is my problem. So when you do some of this work on your own and you are honest with yourself and you begin to identify these messages, these lies that have been pounded into you through trauma, you are already doing half the work. Like you're already halfway there. And then it just takes some loving, supportive, safe people around you to hold your hand and say, okay, we're going to get through this. And sometimes that's all you need. It's just somebody walking through it with you. So you can get through this stuff. You can. And I I sincerely, sincerely believe that not only from someone who has lived trauma, both minor and major, and have clawed my way to the other side without anybody holding my hand, without anybody giving me tools or or hints along the way. Like I, I learned this stuff clawing through the middle of the night by myself and there's so much beauty on the other side and so I wanted to take this episode to share some of those things with you because I believe that all of you have a beautiful garden that is waiting for you to tend to it that is waiting to get back to its original state Because that's what restoration is. It's restoring something back to how it was before all of the junk and garbage happened. I love you guys. I believe in you. I am cheering you on. And I hope that you found meaning in this. I hope that this inspired you to fight for you and to fight for your story and to fight for your health and your healing. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.